The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. We've already had our celebratory time with uh, the Legion Clubhouse number 100. Now we're back to business and we could live live, live in peace, but I don't think that's going to happen. DC Comics presents number 13, To Live in Peace Nevermore. Published September 1979. Written by Paul Levitz with art by Dick Dillon and Dick Giordano. Synopsis. Superman encounters some old friends in deep space. DC Comics presents number 13. This is the one where <laughs> if, uh, Superman punching Muhammad Ali. I mean, this is that series, right? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. DC Comics presents uh, launched in, I think it's 78. Uh, basically, you know, Batman had Batman the Brave and the Bold, where he would team up with various people right. throughout the DC universe from like 1967 on. This is the same thing, only with Superman. So every issue, Superman teams up with somebody else from the DC universe. I think the first issue teamed him up with the flash. And in those first, you know, 10 or 12 issues, you saw green lantern. You saw Adam strange. This is also the book that, uh, Jim Starlin debuts Mongol in not very long down the line from number 13. But this is the one, not the only one, but the first time, the first time that the Legion of superheroes has been a big draw in this Superman team up book. I wonder why I wonder if this is, you know, we are past the point of DC implosion at this point. And I'm wondering if DC is, is uh, kind of scrambling to reorganize and to get more eyeballs into their comics. And if Legion of superheroes is one of those big draws, this is one of those things where let's give people what they want and hope that a bunch of people go and buy this DC comics presents and uh, brings a lot of people in, into the, uh, into the, into the comic book stores. I think so. I think this is a point where, you know, they're seeing the improvement. They're seeing the, the Legion numbers going up. People are getting engaged in Legion again in a way that they hadn't been. And the way that DC comics presents worked, you know, same way brave and the bold did was you could either have a character who was on the downslide or somebody they hadn't seen in years, yeah. or you could have somebody that you really wanted to, you know, Hey, we want to highlight this person. Right. We want to bring them to the forefront, which is, what I think is happening here with the, with the Legion crossover. Okay. And it's also interesting because they don't mention it, but, uh, Pete Ross in this issue is in fact a Legion of superheroes member. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting because what ends up happening at the end of this issue is Pete Ross becomes a villain because, Mm -hmm. uh, the Legion of superheroes have to come back from the future to stop Superman from, uh, stopping a, uh, a war between war. Yeah. yeah, An interstellar war. And they're like, Superman, you can't do this because in the future, the technology that is developed by these aliens 
as they Marvin. Yeah. As, (laughs) as they continue to build their weaponry to fight and take over all these planets, their weaponry becomes so advanced that a thousand years from now, when the intergalactic war begins, they actually team with the United Federation of planets and together we're able to stop this invading army. But if you stop the war now, this is almost like uh, coincides with that horrible tomorrow war movie that's out on mm-hmm. uh, whatever series, uh, Hulu or Amazon or whatever on, it is. On whatever streaming thing it yeah. is. But um, basically, if you stop the war now, we will lose the major war in the future. And Superman's like, bah, I don't like this. And then he goes back and Pete Ross is like Superman uh, or, you know, Clark Kent. I'm sorry, we'll get back to Clark Kent in a moment. But Clark right. Kent, you've got to help me. My son has been abducted by aliens. We'll get more about that into the moment. And Clark is like, well, maybe I can contact Superman. And Pete Ross is like, cut the crap, Superman. I know who you are and rips open his shirt. I've known ever since I was laying awake that night in the tent, staring at you all night long with my hands under the covers. I know you've been Superman. And Superman's like, oh, well, you know what? Your son also knows who I am. Maybe I should go take care of this. And again, the Legion are like, you can't do this because this boy ends up being the, the hero that these aliens need to help uh you know his guidance in the future he's so revered that that is why they team up so you if you even try to rescue him it can thwart and throw off all the plans to stop the interstellar war in the future and superman's like ah i hate this and he goes back and he tries to explain it to pete and pete is like this is my villain origin story i shall shoot you with a kryptonite bullet and become a member of the suicide squad well, not literally, but figuratively, yeah. The last line of the issue is, by God, I swear you'll pay. Yeah, I know. It's really it's really intense because, you know, Superman and Pete Ross have been friends forever, ever since that time uh, that they were in Smallville together. And so it's really kind of tragic to, number one, lose a kid and have to deal with that and know that the person you know that can help you is refusing to help because of something that won't happen for a thousand years. It's right. I call this the, uh, the reverse killing Hitler gambit, right? Where mm-hmm. could you go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby? If it would prevent the loss of millions upon millions of lives. And some people will say, Oh yeah, sure. That would be the greatest thing. This is kind of the reverse of that. If you keep baby John alive, he will grow up to stop an intergalactic war in the future, thus saving billions upon billions of lives. Uh, it is, it's, it's not the psychopath, sociopath, um, uh, train dilemma, but right. it kind of gets into that. It definitely does. And it's really kind of eerie to see this kind of consequence in a 1979 DC comic, because they don't really portray it as serious as it is, but I'm sitting here as a parent going, yeah, if Superman told me he couldn't save my kid. Because of some weird, vague nonsense that may or may not happen in a thousand years, I too would get a kryptonite bullet. You know, it it is a very difficult position to put the hero in. And I think that it's only the fact that it is the Legion mm-hmm. that gives this any weight. I mean, if this had been something else, the fact that the Legion is a thousand years in the future and has been, you know, at this point for 20 years of comics. I, I like that. I like the way it all comes together, although I feel like there are some goofy moments in setting it up. Okay. Well, there are some things that don't make a lot of sense to me. So, for instance, Superman is like, wait a minute. If uh, these aliens are fighting wars and all of their ships are controlled by computers, what happens if I donate a whole bunch of Superman robots to the Legion so that they can run simulations with this computer that the aliens have 
to mm-hmm. build up this war, uh, essentially kind of doing a war games uh, instance before <laughs> war games play, came play out. Game. Yeah. So war games, the movie came out in 1983 with this AI really kind of predicting, you know, what would happen in a global thermal nuclear war. And here they're kind of doing that inside the computer, almost like that Star Trek episode where uh, the computers are running the war and it's just like, okay, you're in this mm-hmm. sector. Please report to the uh, incinerator at this time uh, because you are a casualty of war. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It's really weird that way. But so if they can get the computer to run the simulations and increase their power and increase the the capabilities of these robot armies. Planet, Planet Marvin. Yeah. Why do they need John, John Ross? That is one of the things that isn't entirely clear because when we get to the end of the thing, it seems like Superman has taken care of everything. Yeah. No lives will be lost. The computer can escalate the technology. You know, they can finally realize that maybe they do want a nice game of chess, but then you come back to earth and he's like, sorry, Pete, uh, your kid's in space now. And it's, I find it interesting here that Pete Ross at this point, Superman in the seventies, he's eternally 29. So if you figure Pete Ross was 14 or 15, when he saw young Clark Kent, he's actually been keeping the secret as long in universe Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as he has in our world, because that story that they're referencing takes place in 1961 Yeah, and Superboy number 89 or 90. I don't remember which, but you get to the point here where Pete Ross has been, a really, really good secret keeper. He has been a good and loyal friend to Superman. And uh, you kind of feel like Pete might actually be the one in the right here. I, I honestly think he is because again, they either something happened in this story, something's been edited out or there's something that I've misread or didn't read correctly as to why John Ross needs to stay in the future. When the Superman robots are taking care of, the advancements of technology, unless he needs to stay there and teach the aliens to uh, teach, you know, <laughs> teach your children. Well, um, he's the Matthew Broderick character and he has to reprogram. I, I don't know because yeah, it doesn't make sense. And Superman in the way that they write Superman in this issue, he comes off very flippant as to look, Pete, I'm sorry. The aliens have to keep your son. I can't do anything about it. I'm Superman. Uh, see you. See you next month. Okay. Uh, stop by anytime kind of attitude. And I'm just like, Superman should be grieving. Superman should be more than mildly yeah. annoyed in the way that, I mean, he's portrayed that way during the entire issue, but he should be more than mildly annoyed. He should be angry. He should be upset. He should be doing everything in his power to save a kid. Now, an adult, I could understand if this was an adult, but this is like a 14 year old kid, or at least the way his hair is portrayed. He looks mm-hmm. like a, a, a Leaf Garrett fan. Um, Hi, for those of you that I'm don't know who Leaf Garrett is, go look that up. But I mean, this is Garrett's son from the facts of life. Yeah. Um, but it is just weird how Superman is just like shrugs his shoulders on this. And now since this is a Legion of superheroes podcast, mm-hmm. I'm, I have not gone out of my way to read any issues that come after this. I'm guessing DC comics presents 13, or maybe this happens in the main Superman book or an action comics book or something. Pete Ross obviously is going to turn into a villain. At yes. some point, does Superman, you know, give in and go rescue John Ross or do we never see John Ross again? He does, in fact, give in. The next issue of DCCP does not have a lot of, uh, it really doesn't have any Legion in it, it, except in as much as the main characters are Legionnaires in that it's a Superman team up with Superboy. Mm-hmm. But 
Superboy is not Superboy. Pete Ross has actually somehow brought Superboy 10 years into the future and swapped minds with him. So he <laughs> attacks Superman as Superboy okay. to kick his butt. Okay. Now that's DC Comics Presents number 14. That issue right. ends weirdly. Now is I this a quarterly? DC Comics Presents, no, that's a monthly book. Okay. Yeah, it comes. It came out every month, and it was actually relatively popular for a while. There's a point where DC Comics Presents is actually a really, really good series. Well, yeah, Something especially if it's an anthology. About the Brave and the Bold. Well, if it's an anthology series, then yes, that's that's a good way to keep, yep. you know, uh, keep it in a simple terms, keeping your IPs alive by having them appear every so often. I know that um, DC did the Showcase series throughout the '90s with very random characters appearing here and there, where they had a a main theme that would run through the year. And some of that led to things like the birds of prey and other right. things uh, spinning out of that. So I was just curious about, you know, what's, what happens between Pete Ross and, and Superman Does Superman go and rescue John. Do they repair their friendship or is Pete forever a villain uh, in the, in the, uh, in the history of Superman? Well, uh, issue 25 of this book involves a crossover with the phantom stranger and a lot of magic, woo, scary spaceman. Um, and Superman does, in fact, retrieve John from the future. I'm always confused when they say John Ross because John Ross was the son of J.R. Ewing. I know, right? On Dallas in 1979. So I was like super confused throughout this issue. I kept expecting Larry Hagman to show up. And yeah, it's Superman spelled J O N in the comics. Yeah. And they don't ever say his name, but you assume that if Pete Ross is his father, he also has the Ross name unless Pete's been, you know, had an extramarital affair or didn't I, get married when this child was born or anything like that and adopted the mother's name. I can't remember if it's po my, my brain wants to say it's post crisis that Pete ends up marrying Lana. Oh, okay. Um, but at this point, I want to say Pete is a widower. His wife is dead and we oh. don't know who she is. Well, see, that's an even bigger punch in the gut. <laughs> if he lost his wife and now his children yeah, have been abducted son. by yeah. aliens. Well, so that's another question that I have is mm -hmm. I I'm curious if this book is trying to explain alien abductions in the real world <laughs> with these, these aliens that come in with their probes and they steal because the way that these uh, Marvin the Martians, and they give us some chiclets, the way these Martians work in this, well, they're not really Martians, but the way these aliens work in this book is that they go to different planets and they abduct people and turn them into soldiers for their ongoing tomorrow war. Right. And so I, I wonder if that's, if that's how, you know, DC or the writers, Paul Levitz is trying to explain, Hey, uh, you know, those alien abductions, those people are really being abducted, uh, taken away and being trained to soldiers for an intergalactic war that will only impact us a thousand years from now. I don't know. Um, it, it's one of those things where in 1978, 79, you know, aliens were big, ancient mm -hmm. aliens, Eric mm -hmm. von Daniken. You know, you get into the point where it's post-Star Wars, so we're also in the midst of, you know, Battlestar Galactica. We're coming up on the black hole. We've got everything needs to be Star Wars and Wars in the Stars. So, <laughs> well, I don't know. I, that, certainly I, I explains, that certainly explains why, why Superman, when he arrives on the warring planet, goes, I don't recognize either of these star fleets. <laughs> that was kind of neat. And, you know, I, I got to give them props because Paul Levitz, the regular Legion uh, writer a couple of issues ago, anyway, uh, the, who was a regular, I guess he's not right now. Shut up. Okay. Paul Levitz, a writer at DC who sometimes ranked the Legion, wrote this issue 
but it's in continuity with modern Superman. So we see mm-hmm. big jerk face, uh, Steve Lombard. Yeah. And we see Superman working as an anchor at WGBS. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, Superman robots, any issue with Superman robots I'm in, but if I'm looking correctly, my brain is, is, is doing this thing where I'm trying to remember in 1979, I think Pete Ross has been out of circulation for a while. Hmm. That's interesting. I think Pete Ross hasn't been like, you know, a regular, well, of course, you know, Superboy's book was taken over by the Legion several years ago at this point in time. So there really aren't any individual Superboy stories being told necessarily, but I feel like Pete's been out of, you know, out of the loop and all of a sudden they brought him back and then this happens and he becomes a bad guy for a while. But yeah, it's interesting to think about, is this meant to be? you know, close encounters of the third kind in the DC universe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When did that come out? 78, 77, 77. I want to say somewhere. Sounds yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that uh, is interesting for those of you who are not familiar of your Superman history Superman is history. that, you know, everyone associates Clark Kent with the daily planet, but in the 1970s, mm-hmm. uh, Superman became a television news anchor, a news reporter. And in fact, it seems like everybody that was working for the daily planet went to work for galaxy communication, owned by Morgan edge. And, uh, so, you know, we made this flip from print to video kind of like Facebook kind of forced everybody to pivot to video. (laughs) And that was a horrible mistake. And so instead of, you know, the antics of a typical newspaper room, these are the antics of an on air room. And so sometimes there are instances where Superman has, uh, to rush in at the last second because Clark Kent is about to go on the air at six and uh, he has to rush in just as uh, as the news goes live and keeps covering up, you know, his his secret identity that way. Um, yeah. So WGBS is the Galaxy Broadcast Systems. That's their their flagship television station headquartered in Metropolis. And mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated with this flip where all of a sudden, you know, Morgan Edge, who is a villain, uh, yeah. ends up, you know, buying the Daily Planet or getting everybody to work. Uh, from the Daily Planet to to WGBS. And then that goes on until, I want to say the mid-80s or so, maybe until Crisis, and then it all gets rebooted to where everybody's back to being television, or um, I'm sorry, newspaper reporters. Yeah, the planet is still around, but Galaxy Communications, owned by Morgan Edge, bought the Daily Planet. Mm-hmm. And basically Edge told uh, Superman and Lois, or you know Lois and Clark, depending on which version of the show you're watching, um, told them that they now work on the TV side, but they still worked for the daily planet. So they kind of went back and forth, even though it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And yeah, that was part of the storyline back in 1971 where they, you know, they cut Superman's power in half. Mm -hmm. They did a whole bunch of changes and tried to make the book more, you know, more modern and more, you know, bronze age, but slowly, but surely we're almost back to silver age, you know, baseline here by this point eight years of this stuff and it might as well have not happened. So. Yeah. Eventually we find out that Morgan edge is uh, connected to inner gang, which is also somehow, depending on how you read the Kirby universe connected to, um, uh, dark side and, and everybody that's going on in the, uh, in the outer space world that, that Kirby <laughs> created Morgan edge was created by, by Jack Kirby, by the way, for those of you yes. who are not paying attention. Um, but I always found that time period for Superman really, really interesting. Uh, the it other is, thing, it, Oh, go ahead. It, it's interesting that that time for Superman actually coincides with this big change for the Legion too, because again, we've seen the Legionnaires trying to be more 
modern and hip and naked. And <laughs> it's all out of that same Bronze Age. Can we make this feel relevant? Can we make this feel real and authentic and real worldy? And sometimes you do get a great Morgan Edge story and sometimes you get Ty Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. The other thing that was really kind of interesting that caught my eye and just instantly felt out of place was seeing, I don't know if it was an Apollo or a Jiminy um, a spacecraft in the opening pages because uh, those astronauts have been put into suspended animation as this probe comes in to try to capture them. And then mm -hmm. Superman saves them, puts them on their way. And I was like, wow, that seems really out of place in a comic book series where we're seeing all sorts of crazy spaceships and things that are going on. But no, this would have been the Apollo uh, space capsules would have been in use during this time um, throughout the, well, through, by 1979, they're basically ending the space program and we're getting ready for the shuttle uh, program within the year. Uh, we'll have some, some test flights of the shuttle. Uh, but I always find that interesting. Anytime you see some retro space technology <laughs> in a quote unquote futuristic book, it always, it always sets me back for a moment. You know, what really cracks me up about it? What's that? I'm, pretty sure that's a major matt mason toy that's being drawn there oh really uh, yeah my cousin had one it, it has little sliding doors that you can put your gi joe guys inside well and, and that's it's a, a space capsule for you know 12 inch superhero characters basically yeah so the interesting thing is and this is why i was wondering whether it was a jiminy or an apollo uh capsule is because apollo would have had three astronauts inside right but the Gemini would have had two or Gemini uh, means two. Gem Gemini cricket. Yeah. Uh, well, no, the, you know, if you ever listen to the uh, people from Nassau uh, talking, Nassau, yeah. they're always talking about the Gemini probes instead of Gemini. Um, so I always say Gemini. Um, but yeah, it's real interesting that this really felt like one of those early probes. And I had to stop and go, when is this story taking place? And it's like, no, this is 1979. Skylab is already up in the air. The um, uh, Apollo Soyuz uh, mission is complete by 1979 we're going to start seeing space shuttles flying in the next couple of years so this is really this is really interesting uh to just see that in there and it just feels very very weird and retro it kind of makes you wonder if uh you know the artist this is uh, drawn by dick dylan who mm -hmm. for years did justice league did did like a 15 16 year run of justice league basically did more than 100 consecutive issues of justice league with various writers and literally passed away in 1980 while drawing mm. an issue of Justice League, mm, which is, you know, sad. And I shouldn't have brought it up. Yeah. But Dick Dillon uh, was born in the 20s. It may have just been. They said, hey, Dick, draw a spaceship, an American spacecraft. And Dick's like, heck, yeah, Major Matt Mason. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it probably shouldn't be that much of a surprise because by the time you get to um, Cyborg Superman, they're still doing modern day space shuttles, right? Where Superman's not able to save a space shuttle coming in. So it's really interesting. It's really interesting to see that. So all in all, I thought it was a little convoluted in yeah. how they're trying to resolve everything, but I think it's a real moment where you see a long-term friend turn into a, a villain or yeah, and I'm going to call him a villain, even though it's just somebody who's very upset. He's a temporary villain. It, it's interesting. And part of the reason it's here is because even though this, you know, has just a few Legionnaires bouncing around in it, mm -hmm. this is a very Legion centric story because part of the reason that Pete actually got to be a member of the Legion was because he kept Superboy's secret back right. in the day. So, right. yeah, you know, having his, this happen and having him turn evil in retrospect, maybe I should have done number 14, but I mean, it's got like, Hey, a Legionnaire at the beginning. And then it's just all Superman punching himself. So 
You know, we could have read it, but why? Eh. Yeah. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Hey, everybody, I wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that we could really use your help. I know that many of you out there are already um, uh, supporters of this show that we do, but our funds are running a little bit low and we could use your help in getting those funds built back up so we can continue the Legion Clubhouse for 100 episodes uh, in the future. I don't know if we'll reach the year uh, 3979, but we're hoping that we can uh, and we might be able to with your help. So if you would, if you have some extra money, if you have like five bucks that you can afford to spend every month and you enjoy the Legion Clubhouse, would you please head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. That's patreon.com slash major spoilers and, and kick in a couple of bucks a month. Five dollars is, is probably the one that I say is the best bargain. But if you'd like to go up to 10 or 25 or higher, heck, if you want to become the daddy Warbucks level, Matthew and I will fly to your house and we will do a bunch yes. of Legion Clubhouse episodes in your home with you if you want. From your living room. You can even we'll interject. Even, yeah, we'll even take you out to dinner and feed you. So you can go in and check that out. But we would really appreciate, I know that not everybody's a daddy Warbucks, but if you do have five, ten bucks that you could spare each month to keep this show going, uh, I would really appreciate it. And I know Matthew would really appreciate it as well. And so I'm just going to say thank you in advance for your support for going to patreon.com slash major spoilers and becoming a patron. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 255. The Super Spectacle Swipe. Published September 1979. Written by Jerry Conway with art by Joe Stanton. Synopsis. Clark Kent's glasses are the beginning of a time-spanning adventure. All right, we're into the back half now with Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, 255. The Super Spectacles Swipe. <laughs> Good lord. A story that hinges on Superman's glasses. Now, so a lot of people over the years have said that, oh, how can you not tell that's, that it's not Clark Kent and Superman are the same person just by spectacles? And, you know, there have been instances in the last couple of months where mm -hmm. people have seen someone without their glasses on in major media and are like, holy crap, I didn't know that that was who it was because mm -hmm. they didn't have their glasses on or because they did have glasses on. And I so Zoe Deschanel without bangs <laughs> and I never, I'm never going to make fun of Lois Lane again because it did not look like the same woman. Yeah. And so just by changing glasses or wearing glasses or not wearing glasses, I think you really can change the look of someone And here. Superman's glasses become a major thing because an alien pops in and swaps out Superman's uh, specs with some uh, uh, regular human spectacles. And for those of us in the know, wink, wink, uh, we know that Clark Kent crafted his spectacles using the glass from the rocket that uh, fired him from the exploding planet Krypton. Oh, so many years ago. And so he's able to use his laser vision and his heat vision and his X-ray vision and his super breath vision, whatever thing he shoots out of his eyes. Dorito vision. Yeah. Oh, Dorito vision is the hot spicy one. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not going to affect his glasses at all. Except if he's using human glasses, in which case he's trying to save somebody and he uh, melts his glass and he's like, oh, no, if Lana sees me now, how am I going to explain my melted glass? Teacher, I must use the bathroom. Excuse me. And runs out of the room, at which point the the, 
Legion of Superheroes show up and they're like, the whole uh, of Tokyo has disappeared in the future and we need your help. <laughs> Which is like totally just nonsense out of left field. The one thing that I do like, uh, actually, there's a couple of things that I really enjoy about this issue because it starts the first half of the book, like the first 10 pages are an old school Superboy story. Yeah, this is Superboy lives in Smallville. Ma and Pa are not on the farm, but they have the grocery store. So yeah, it's it's very much that 1950s, early 1960s feel that we have in those Superboy tales. Yep, and he actually makes a reference when, you know, Pa, pa Kent at the beginning of the issue is like, you can't let just a pair of glasses. And he's like, well, it's also posture and weight placement and voice tone. And I started thinking about how much of that comes entirely out of Christopher Reeves portrayal the year before when he did, you know, that live action could be, Clark Kent where you could, could be see a little bit. Him, yeah. You could see him change his posture, change the way he stands and the tone of his voice. But it's neat to see that until you start to ask yourself, how did an alien sneak in and steal the glasses from a man with super hearing? He was too busy uh, getting yelled at by his dad, and he didn't want to, uh, yeah, you know, to to hear that. Also, why oh. didn't he know that Lana was in the grocery store when he was right. carrying in the boxes? And this has these. This issue has one of the dumbest, perhaps the dumbest super feet I have ever seen. Clark is walking around with a handful of boxes filled with heavy cans of what seem to be apples, tomatoes, or apples, or something. Yeah, yeah. and in order to when Lana comes in, in order to protect his secret identity, he wraps on the box, knocks the cans through the bottom of the box, through the floorboards of the store. Lana never sees this. Lana does not notice the. <laughs> and oh, yeah, then because he the empty boxes. Right. That's just so. Dumb. I mean, that is that is very much a Superboy Silver Age kind of gimmick, right? Where Superboy is using these quote unquote clever tricks to yeah. fool Lana and gaslight her throughout her entire, <laughs> her entire life. Uh, Poor but, Lana. yeah, but here's the it thing. It feels like a sixties Superboy tale. And then all of a sudden it transitions into a seventies Legion story. And I'm just like, what? I, I, I like that though. I kind of wish that they could continue to kind of mix that in a way that if you're going to show Superboy as a child, make it feel like it did in the time period that we're talking about. If you're telling a Legion story, it should feel futuristic and deal with futuristic terms, such as this alien who has taken all of Tokyo, uh, 10 billion people or however many it is, 10 million people. And he has shunted them into the Phantom Zone thanks to the lens refraction of Superboy's glasses and the Phantom Zone projector, which has been stolen from, I guess, the Legion clubhouse sub-basement. And uh, in in exchange, he demands 1,000 people of Earth, 50 males, 50 females so he can have them work in his factories. Your children with their tiny fingers and tiny hands make perfect workers for my loom factory. (laughs) But the thing is the, the Legion members involved in this. Yes. The Legion members involved in this really don't know anything about the phantom zone. So here's who we have this week. We have cosmic boy and shrinking violet and wildfire and shadow lass. And for some reason, this issue includes nothing includes not a, a single Legion member who may have had any kind of dealings with the shadow zone for say, mm, I don't know, a thousand years mm-hmm. in well, and out of the shadow zone. So let's not include Bob Cobb at all in, in, in this Jerry story. In Conway's defense, this is a story about getting out of the phantom zone. 
And that is something that Bob Cobb knows nothing of. Well, no, but he, I mean, he would be able to say, hey, look, um, the reason why people are only halfway materializing is because of this, this or this. And so in some convoluted scheme, they all travel back to the planet of Krypton on the day that it's supposed to explode. And they put another lens inside of the baby Krypton rocket ship. And somehow in the future that materializes a secret weapon that annihilates the ship and brings everybody back. So here's what it is. It's, 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 it's well, stupid, but by going back and placing the lens in the rocket ship, they make it possible for there to be a third lens that they can then use to uh, Jimmy up their own device that will protect Superboy from the beam, excuse me, from the aliens, bloopy beams. I have the hiccups now. It's terrible. And more importantly, allow them to make a really dumb joke at the end about Superboy suddenly recognizing shrinking violet because they went back in time. And I think that this issue is interesting because it clearly shows that time travel in the DC universe is nonlinear because they had not visited Krypton until this story happened. And because they visited Krypton halfway through this story, suddenly at the end, Kal-El remembers that Shrinking Violet was there when he was a baby who spoke. Yeah, that's that, that's that butterfly effect thing, right? So until right. they had done it, then there wouldn't have been any kind of ripple effect for Superboy to go, huh, for some reason, you sitting on this lens reminds me that for some reason, I feel like we've we've known each other before. And then everyone's like, yeah, we've been friends longer than you've ever known. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, Let's wah. go to the Nine Planets ice cream shop. It's a wonderful, uh, remember a trash can moment. Yes. It is very uh, much a Bill and Ted moment. It's yes. not done well. Well, and there is the a lot of the villain is, is just this weird two dimensional, you know, I don't know what he, he looks like size snoodles. Yeah. Uh, a the guy bit, yeah. Who, who plays the, the saxophone in, uh, the cantina from star Wars. But yeah, there's a lot there's of juggling. Really... There's a lot of juggling going on to make this story work. And I think the only thing that they really wanted to do is do a time travel story where they had to have a reason to go to Krypton. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of fandangled all this other nonsense around Mm it because it's not a, it is not a very good story compared to what we just read. This one is super weak. And you know, the worst part of it is not only is the story weak, uh, it's, it's, uh, still Joe Statton. Joe's our regular penciler, Mm -hmm. but it's inked by Vinnie Coletta. Now Vinnie Coletta can be a very, very good artist. There are some Thor issues where Vinnie Coletta just makes the book shine, but boy, he does not work with Joe Statton. This is an ugly comic. Yeah. It's, it's not very pretty. Not, not good. I was, I was waiting for you to go off on the uh, president of the United planets again. Oh, uh, Boltax watch. Kandro Boltax in this issue and or Kandro Boltax appears as a white man or excuse me, a white haired Caucasian man with wavy hair and a mustache who looks remarkably like RJ brand. So here's the thing that I think is going on because Mm -hmm. I saw that too. And I was like, why is RJ brand here? And here's the thing. I think that the creators, Mm -hmm. both the artists and the writers in this series can't remember the difference between <laughs> president, president Boltox of- and the richest man in the planet, RJ brand, which kind of brings into some weird, you know, the capitalistic society and it's the capitalists that actually run the government, not the, 
not the people that run the government or anything like that. And I think that that is, I think the thing is that they just can't remember the difference between RJ Brandon Boltox because Brandon Boltox both start with B. They're both right. really important people. And so they're and, just like, oh, you know, who's, the who's the an oligarchy? Well, and I'm sure Joe Stanton or whoever is doing the art probably leans out of his cubicle and is like, hey, uh, who's the one that gets to call on the Legion of Superheroes? And they're like, oh, that's R.J. Brandon. He looks up his little Bible. He goes, oh, okay, this is the guy. So let me draw this guy, thinking that what he really wanted to say is is Boltax. He didn't ask the question right as to who was supposed to be in this. I think that's what it is. I think that the people just either don't care enough or they get easily confused between Boltax and Brand as to who's in charge of the Legion. That being said, I really like the fact that the United Planets, this, uh, this issue shows that the United Planets tries to take care of their problems themselves. Yep. And only when the situation becomes super dire, do we get this really, really cool line that says, uh, summon the Legion. You know, yes. this is the moment now where we can summon the Legion, where the Legion are kind of just like, you guys sit back and wait for the great catastrophe to occur. And then we'll call on you. You don't have to be proactive. Right. Wait for us to, to summon you. You are, you work for us, even though they They're technically the don't line of defense. And as, as much as part of me hates the idea of the UP as this militaristic sort of entity, I do agree with you. I like that summon the Legion because this is a problem that only they can handle. This is a superhero problem. Yeah. And that really works. Now the, the question of why they sent these particular superheroes, well, they know. do. They, they did try to explain it, and I was waiting for them to go to uh, Brand's planetoid because they're like, "Hey, we're the only four that are here at the Legion HQ or wherever that they're at," because they don't have an HQ because it's been destroyed. Unless they're all living in the uh, in the sub basement as uh, as not Murlocs. What are the What are the people from the Time Machine? Murlocs. Uh, Murlocs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so unless they're living like that, you know, they basically say everyone else is on RJ Brand's planetoid, right? And so I thought it, that that was interesting. You know, there are some really nice touches and I kind of get the feeling that with the thing that's happening in a couple of issues, maybe they're trying to give us a little taste, you know, a, a remember what, Hey, a Superboy story is like, mm-hmm. because he's about to get booted out of the book. No spoilers. Um, in a couple of issues, this isn't going to be Superboy and the Legion of superheroes any longer. And I feel like maybe, this was an attempt to remind people, hey, this is what a Superboy book's like looks like because uh, we're going to have a separate Superboy book here in a couple of months, you guys. So, you know, remember that when you get yeah. there. Remember how awful those Superboy comics are because we don't want you to read <laughs> Superboy anymore. We want you to read Superboy. We just don't want you to read this book for him. For so like- it's a really weird story, but there are little bits and pieces that come out of this that I do think are that are interesting. You know, getting to mm-hmm. see the really the the Silver Age Jor-El. Uh, you know, with his headband and his green tunic is really kind of cool to see that getting them to really kind of dive in a little bit, talking about how you can really see a difference in somebody with glasses and without glasses and maybe not be able to recognize them. I think that that's kind of cool. Uh, the summon the Legion quip is just fantastic in my opinion. Um, but the whole juggling of trying to get to a coherent story mm-hmm. really makes this kind of a, a lost issue for me feels like they had three or four things that they wanted to do. 
Uh, we want to project a whole city into the phantom zone. We want to make, you know, Superboy's glasses an important plot point. And we want to have this cute time travel story where, you know, baby Superboy's like, why pretty lady so small? Yeah. And I, I get it. I mean, sometimes you have a lot of things that you want to do. You have three or four bits and you want to work it all in and you want to be like, you know, a ninja pirate zombie robot. So you mm -hmm. create your new D and D character trying to empathize or not empathize to try and integrate all of those things. And you know, it's, it's no ninja pirate zombie robot, which by the way, would be awesome. Yeah. I pitched that years ago. Yeah. Uh, they didn't uh, let you do it though. Cowboy, cowboy, uh, ninja zombie. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that's where we're going to end this episode. As we wrap up the Legion clubhouse this week, Matthew, what have we learned? We learned that issue 255 may have been filler because at the end it has the same blurb for next month that we got in 253. Oh, that's pretty bad. I also mm -hmm. uh, think that we have learned that uh, you need to save someone's son before you create a supervillain. Mm -hmm. And me have learned that Bizarro Talk and Baby Talk am same thing in DC Universe time place. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you so much, everyone, for your continued support. Hey, listen, if you can't make a financial contribution, do us a favor. Get out there and hype the Legion Clubhouse. Let people know about it. Uh, share our posts every time we put something up. Uh, drop a, a like. Uh, use the comments section over at the Major Spoilers website. Uh, participate. Uh, share reviews. Uh, create some reviews. Whatever you can to hype up this show. Let's get. Let's see if we can get 200 new listeners by this time next month, 200 new listeners. I know with all the listeners we have right now that 200 would be a drop in the bucket if you tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on, which reminds me, until next time, I'm Wavy Hair Boy. And me am not Bizarro Steven. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.